Hello, and welcome back to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm Emma Sandler, beauty and wellness editor at Glossy and your host for today's episode. I'm honored to welcome Olamide Oloe, co-founder and CEO of Topicals, a brand dedicated to helping chronic skin issues like eczema and psoriasis for all types of consumers and sold through Sephora. Topicals has received wide praise since its launch in 2020, including winning Allure's Best of Beauty in 2023 and Women's Health 2023 Skincare Awards, among others. Alamade, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. You've said in the past when it came to the origin story of topicals that you struggled with skin issues from a young age. I want to know, though, were you always uh, entrepreneurial from a young age? I definitely was. I've always been someone who had a knack for just seeing a problem and creating some sort of solution for it. I didn't fully understand the world of business in the way that I do now, but my dad's an entrepreneur. He's been that since I was a kid. So I've definitely grown up in a household where being um, an entrepreneur, being a business person was definitely encouraged. Uh, But my desire to be in skincare, it, it wasn't as polished, again, as I understand it to be now, but it was definitely something that I was really interested in. I was watching YouTube videos um, in the heyday of YouTube. And I remember my mom used to always um, ask me the funniest question and she would say like, what's their day job? Like, how do they just sit online and just talk about beauty and skincare all the time? And I was like, mom, this is their day job. And so I've always been fascinated with beauty, but never really understood how you could make that into a career. And where does the name topicals come from? So the word topicals has both an emotional and functional definition. So the functional definition is something that's applied topically to the skin. um, And then the emotional definition is something that's top of mind, urgent, immediate. We wanted the name to have both definitions because we wanted to create a holistic experience for our customer. So Alameda, walk me through the development of topicals. You come from an entrepreneurial family you were studying pre-med in college. How exactly did you then use that and create topicals? Yeah, I think the story actually starts before then. Um, I ran track competitively in high school and then got a full scholarship to go to UCLA. And why I think my track career was really important, is really important in my overall story, is that my career um, in track really connected me to people at UCLA that I don't think I would have been connected to if I hadn't played a sport. And so my roommate my sophomore year was on the gymnastics team and we connected because we had gone to summer school together. And um, one day she was talking about her parents and what they did. And she shared that her father owned a a beauty company called Shea Moisture. And um, Shea Moisture is a really massive uh, beauty company. And she asked me, to join her in creating a a company under her dad's parent company for young women. And I think that was the first time that it actually understood that skincare and beauty and dermatology could be accessible to people over the counter. And I didn't necessarily have to become a dermatologist, which is what I was uh, planning to do after I finished pre-med at UCLA, was to go to medical school to become a dermatologist. I didn't actually have to do that if I wanted to touch people in the way I wanted to, to touch them, right? I didn't have to They didn't have to have health insurance to come into a doctor's office to come and see me. I could create products that could be mass produced and could be available worldwide. Okay. Okay. And so the brand launches in 2020, which is such a crazy time for beauty. What was that experience like for you? 
extremely stressful. I always say now in therapy that I've become the master compartmentalizer because so many things that have been hard in this journey just didn't even seem hard to me at the time. I think, again, I think my track background of like being able to endure hard workouts, painful workouts, and, you know, being able to quiet my mind and on race day and to win. I think that type of compartmentalization helped me through 2020 where um, there was, you know, issue after issue, whether it was supply chain or it was the lack of funding for um, young Black women at the time, or it was the fact that people were getting sick. I was ill during 2020 during COVID. And so it was just a an amalgamation of all the things that you would never want to happen have happened. And it's so funny because I think that around that period, the word unprecedented became like the buzzword that everyone used, but it was quite literally every day, every year, past, you know, 2020 has been unprecedented. And what I am so proud about is that we've thrived regardless of the fact of what's been going on in the world. And we've been able to create community that means something to people. On a slightly lighter note, I was watching a video the other day. I was watching a TikTok, I'll be honest. And the person was saying how everything in life is hard. Working out is hard, but so is being unhealthy. Being successful is really hard, but in some ways doing nothing and not getting anywhere in your life is also hard. So it's like, which hard do you want to be? Like, do you want to be successful and healthy or do you want to be unhealthy and unsuccessful? So it sounds very much like you're like, okay, I've chosen which hard I want to be. It's going to take obviously a lot of work that's given, but it's worth it. And you've got that drive and that stamina to withstand it. I really love that. I think that's absolutely correct. Everything in life is hard. So choose your hard and choose what you're passionate about. I think that's the question that I wish we would ask in schools a lot more, you know, a lot less of learning specific um you know, math or English or science. And I almost wish we would ask people like, what are you passionate about? What do you love? Because I think there are ways to intertwine those subjects into what you're passionate about to find what you'd want to be a career. Yeah, absolutely. If you find something you're passionate about and you're willing to work hard for it, you can get very far. And it's really important. People kind of miss the connection between those two things sometimes. So, Topicals launched, notably, in Sephora in March 2021. How did you make that Sephora connection? And what was the impact it had on the business? The Sephora connection was actually multifold. So the first is that Sephora had heard about us because in August of 2020, when we launched, we sold out in 48 hours at Nordstrom. We were we had done a limited part-time or a limited edition um, pop-up with Nordstrom and it had been extremely successful. And I think a lot of the retailers at that time, their ears were perked up because in 2020, how is this unheard of brand selling out in 48 hours and targeting a specific audience that I think a lot of people had forgotten about? Um, but then the second fold, I had really great advisors. I think that was that's one of my greatest skills is that I know how to build teams. I know how to rally people around an idea. And I um, had an amazing advisor, Divya Gugnani, who was a CEO of Wander Beauty and now has a um, fragrance company called Five Senses. She's been an advisor of the company since before we launched, and she had a really great relationship with Sephora, given her brand was in Sephora as well, and introduced us to the buyers there. How did you make the connection with Divya? I feel like I have to ask, like, networking advice. Like, how do you build those relationships? 
such an intricate story, but I love LinkedIn. And I think that if you use LinkedIn correctly, you really can get in front of anyone. So I connected with someone named Carol LaForgia on LinkedIn. She is a retail consultant and um, just wanted to ask her questions about getting into retail. She ended up taking us on as a client and sent out our deal when we were looking to fundraise um, in the summer of 2020 to her network. And we connected with a plethora of female investors who actually are the reason why we were able to raise that original $2 million. So it really is just using what you have. So in my case, LinkedIn, and then being relentless about having them help you share your information in a format that makes sense for their community and their audience. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. And you mentioned fundraising just now. What has that experience been like for you? Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Topicals has raised a total of 15 million the last I heard. Yeah. It's so much easier now than it was you know, three years ago, from that period of 2018 to 2020, before I launched the brand, I probably received over a hundred no's from investors. And I think it's a mixed bag of me being inexperienced, not pitching the right kinds of investors, but also a lot of investors having fatigue around beauty. Um, Also maybe seeing someone like myself who they don't typically see pitch them at my age. I was 21 when I started pitching to investors. Um, And again, we know the stats around Black women raising less than it's not even a percent of venture capital. So I think all the odds were stacked against me, but it took about two years. But I'm also really glad that I got the nose I did because it helped refine the idea. Um, And it also led us to the right investors who are still amazing investors with us today who've helped us really transform the way people feel about skin. Did you hear recently about the new VC law that was passed in California? I'm not exactly sure I have heard it. So... In early October, Governor Gavin Newsom signed into law a bill called Senate Bill 54, very boring name, but it requires VC firms to report annually on the diversity of the founding teams and businesses they fund. So really opening up more transparency around who they're funding in terms of that diversity and inclusivity. I love that. I think holding people accountable is really important because, you know, it's unfortunate that I could be the first investment for funds that have been around for decades, being their first Black female investment. And I am, I always tell people I'm not the smartest in the room. I'm not the most connected, but I believe that there are hundreds of me's, hundreds of topicals that could exist if um, the biases that exist with investors were removed. And I think, um, you know, it's kind of institutional, right? So we need to fund more Black fund managers so that we can, they can get in front of the right kind of audiences and communities and educate them about VC. Because I think there is, you know, there's a lack of experience and understanding from a Black founder, but there also is a lack of experience and familiarity with VCs, with the issues that plague Black and Brown communities. Yeah, absolutely. What is your hope with the impact that topicals can have on the beauty industry? You know, it's funny because I think that beauty is such a rigid thing. It's it's actually really hard to penetrate. It's hard to change. And so I never put the pressure on myself or our team to um, fully change what the beauty industry has done to our minds. But I think what we can do is try our best to question 
and to provide information for our audience to make choices. I think that's what's been the most fun thing about building this brand is this idea that we're not actually telling you that you should just love your skin no matter what happens, even if it's painful, even if a flare-up is causing you anguish. That's not what we're saying actually at all. Our idea of you know, skin neutrality is this idea that skin is skin. It's neither moral, so it's neither good or bad, right? It can't be moral. And I think it's this idea that choice is what women, people are searching for in their quest for beauty, right? So if you are someone who wants to get um, your lips done or you want to get a Brazilian butt lift or you're someone who doesn't want to wear makeup at all, there isn't a wrong or right answer in your choice and, and quest for beauty. And I think Sometimes what we have seen is that the pendulum can swing from being extremely harsh and judgmental about what a woman should look like to then being harsh and judgmental when a woman chooses to look a specific type of way. Again, our idea of skin neutrality, of beauty neutrality, of anti-beauty is this idea that choice is queen. I like that focus on choice because I've seen before with other brands, particularly when it comes to something like acne, where... It's like, hey, love the skin you're in. You're perfect how you are. And yet here's some products so you can get rid of that acne that you've got. And it's like, that seems like a bit counterintuitive or contradictory in nature. But you're almost, you're removing that contradictory nature because it's just a choice in and of itself. Yeah, the reality of skin conditions is that they're extremely painful. So this idea that like, oh, just love the skin you're in is kind of reductive because you are not experiencing the pain or even like the like the judgment that comes with having that skin condition. Uh, but similarly, I think you should also have a day where if you decide that today is a day you're not going to put on makeup over your acne scars or what, you can also do that. And again, that's why choice is what we should all be looking for. We should all be equipped. And I think this happens in other, you know, kind of controversial categories, right? It's, it's this idea of being pro-choice, being allowing people to decide what it is they want to do with their body. Yeah, absolutely. You had said at the time of your last fundraising that you like hiring people from different industries who can contribute different perspectives. Tell me more about this approach and how it ultimately helps the brand stay relevant. You know what's so funny is I, I think the way that I lead and the way I've built this business in partnership with our team has really been about filling needs that I wish or, or desires of who I wish I could be, right? So I grew up loving fashion, but I grew up in a town called El Paso, Texas. And everyone knows no one really goes after like a fashion career or I didn't know you could be a beauty editor when I was growing up in Texas. And so I think I've always been a big lover of streetwear and almost enviously wanted to replicate what streetwear meant to, you know, subcultural movements. And so I am so fascinated with the beauty industry, but I'm also equally as fascinated with the fashion industry and the filmmaking industry. I always say that a Mugler pair of pants and let's say an H&M pair of pants, before they did their collab, you, you, couldn't, you, you, know, you couldn't tell the difference other than the fact that one held weight and cost more than the other because of the storytelling and the positioning that Mugler had over H&M right? We're seeing those worlds collide more and more, which is super fascinating. And I think similarly with the filmmaking industries, people spend money to go sit in a dark room, watch a film. And once that film is over, your money has like, you know, it's poof, it's gone. But 
just the experience of being able to be immersed in a story, what that does to people's minds. I think we haven't seen that happen in beauty. We haven't seen the communities that we've seen built out of streetwear and fashion happen in beauty. And that's really what I wanted to emulate with Topicals. And that's why we hire people who have backgrounds ranging from film to TV to fashion to journalism, because we want beauty to be expressed and understood and explored through all of those different mediums and angles. In the case of streetwear, are there specific examples of taking that streetwear inspiration and applying it to topicals? Yeah, um, the really great example is that in the past, beauty has been very focused on the benefits and results of a product, which we believe is table stakes, right? We have to make great products. We have to make products that are effective. But something that we did at the top of 2022, so early last year, we launched a product called High Roller. And as when that product launched, the face of that campaign was Smino, who's a rapper. And that is a very different thing to do as a beauty brand for a lot of reasons. First, it was we used a man as like the face of this skin condition or this category because we knew men and shaving was going to be really important and really interesting. Um, But we also wanted our community to know that like the products themselves have no gender, like anyone could use them, even if we're a brand that presents more femme in some cases. Um, The second was that using someone who is not typically associated with beauty, like Smino, would expand our audiences and also explore different sides of him for his own audience. Um, And so I think that's reminiscent of streetwear where they would take cultural tastemakers and either create products around their likeness or create products that their audiences would be interested in, even if it wasn't something that was typically seen. 2023 has been a big year for the brand, including a mental health initiative from this past summer called Summer Camp. Why was that important to you? You know, being a brand that launched during COVID and being a brand that even to today is fully remote, every time the internal team gets together, there's like a spark and magic that happens and just like a warmth that it like just comes from being in community with people. And we wanted our community, which is a very specific type of community, to be able to get off screens and get into the world. And the, the funny saying everyone says is like, touch grass. We wanted people to be able to like, actually meet the people they had been friends with for two, three years online. And then also on Topical's Dime, enjoy themselves, right? Like smell the flowers, get outside to the fresh air. Um, And so that's really what it was. And I think sometimes mental health can feel so heavy. And sometimes, and I love this saying that people say on Twitter that it's like, you know, you hang out with your best friends and then life is worth living again. And like, we almost wanted to replicate that where we would bring people together to remind them that mental health is just as simple sometimes as interacting with other people. So with summer camp, tell me, how was it organized? What did it look like? So Natalie on our team and Grace Sophia, they leave our community efforts. They put together basically like an itinerary of different cities and different dates and different activities that we would do um, across the country. Um, So we did things like Um, a field day in New York. We did um, yoga. We did a cake baking class. We did a pottery class. We did things, again, that would get people outside and creative. 
um, get people talking with other people, get people experiencing, touching and feeling different things they haven't done before. So many people had never done a pottery class. And so I really commend um, Natalie and Grace Sophia because they've single-handedly transformed our community program. We had a really phenomenal um, community program led by a young woman named Sabrina. And Natalie and Grace Sophia took that over and have just really used community to tell our story, like to be an extension of the internal team. I think there's so many um, things that we wanted people to know about topicals that, you know, sometimes people would know it because they interacted one-on-one with our team, or maybe they read a press release, but we wanted to almost have this like microphone or extension of us um, and for them to have the correct information. You know, in in a day and age of misinformation, we really wanted to equip our, I think we now have almost 4,000 ambassadors in this program. We wanted them to be equipped with the right kind of information. We wanted to also create opportunities. A lot of these um, ambassadors are micro-influencers, so less than 10,000 followers. We wanted to equip them also with opportunities, paid opportunities um, and community opportunities that just the general population of Topical's customers didn't get. Yeah, that's very, very interesting. And it honestly sounds like such a pleasant time at the summer camp too. With the ambassador program, when did that start? Who kind of gets to be a part of it too? It's been since day one. We launched with 100 ambassadors um, in August of 2020. And really what it was, was that we wanted to to honor the people who had already been having this conversation online. We're not the creators of this idea of skin neutrality. Um, We are not the first people to stand up and say that um, skin is skin. And so one, we wanted to bring in those people who were already using the hashtags and having this conversation and leading this movement. Um, And then we opened it up to to like-minded people who also, again, they didn't actually have to have a love for skincare, but they were just people who were outspoken in their communities. And we wanted them to understand us as a brand that we wanted to be a platform for them to tell their own stories. And in the meantime, we wanted to gift them products so they could try them and give us feedback. We wanted them to create content that represented how they use topicals in their real life world. And so it's been a really fun program that has really grown so much. And I think that, again, I have to give kudos to Natalie and Grace Sophia because they've really understood the ethos and heart of what our community wants. And we've tried our best as a very small brand. I don't think people realize how small Topical still is, even though we're, you know, we feel larger than life online. They've worked tirelessly to make our community happy and to create connection between our internal team at Topicals and our external community. Yeah, absolutely. They they understood the assignment. <laughs> they did understand the assignment. They did. They did. And again, I say this so much is I... I try my best to decenter myself in these conversations, right? Like I'm the one that gets invited to come to these podcasts and to talk on stages, but I am not the reason why Topicals is successful. I'm Topicals is successful because the team at Topicals cares deeply about our customer. They're extremely talented. They're extremely brilliant. They're extremely selfless. And then as an extension of that, the community who has purchased product from us, the community that has, you know, held us accountable in times when we haven't gotten it right or when they want faded to stop smelling as bad as it does, you know, like they hold us accountable for things. And I I would say what is amazing about my job, but also the most difficult is how do we channel all that to create something sustainable and long lasting for our community? And diversity and inclusivity have always been front and center of topicals. 
including its recent first ever brand trip, which was to Bermuda. Tell me more about the trip and its purpose. Ah, Bermuda. So I actually went to Bermuda last year for my 26th birthday, and I absolutely loved it. I could not imagine that an island that was about 90 minutes off the coast of New York existed and no one was talking about it and no one wanted to go. And I think when I went there, something that I didn't understand is that it was it's actually a Black island that has been... Um, it is a British territory now, but a lot of the people on the island, a lot of the culture of the island is is very Black. Um, and so I was really excited because I, I wanted us to go and pour back into an economy that of people who look like me. And then our brand trip, I think people think that diversity and inclusion has been something that we've made as a mandate when really it's just the experience of the people who are on the team, right? Like we think about who we'd want to invite to our parties. We, we think about who we'd want to invite to, you know, an event, who we want to be a part of history. And I was really excited to execute the brand trip because it's not a cheap endeavor at all. And I just feel so like so much gratitude. And I also feel so much um, it's it, pressure isn't the right word. I just feel a sense of responsibility that as a black owned brand that has the funding that we do, that we put it to use in a way that allows our community to shine. And so I, I am so excited that we not only brought those influencers to Bermuda, had a great time, donated money to a business cause there for Black women and enjoyed ourselves and celebrated our, our third birthday. But I'm also really proud of the fact that our internal team, which is really small, brought that trip to life. And we were able to bring along another Black-owned brand. Um, again, this idea that other Black-owned brands don't always have the capital to execute at the level that we do. I ask myself, our team asks ourselves, how do we bring them along? So again, Topicals isn't just about our end customer, right? It's not just about selling the products and helping people with their skin and, you know, transforming the way people think about mental health, but it's also about the industry as a whole. You know, Topicals can't be the only successful Black-owned business that exists. We have a duty, I have a duty as a Black founder to ensure that there are more Black-owned businesses that are successful. And if that means that they ride some of the funding that we have, so be it. Let's make sure that we bring people along so that people understand that a Black business that is successful and effective and fun is not an anomaly. It really should be table stakes. It should be normal. How are you thinking about this as perhaps a format for any future trips or influencer strategies? I'm really curious, any key takeaways from this experience? I can't share too much, but it, oh. <laughs> um, and our team is working really hard to formalize this idea of like, how do we bring people along with us? And when we say people, in this case, it's brands, other brands, how we bring them along. So we've been working on something similar for like two years. So Chima, who is my right hand at Topical, is absolutely phenomenal, who leads, honestly, all of our finance functions, our growth, our strategy functions. We have been thinking tirelessly about what it looks like for um, us to use what has been successful at Topicals and share it with other brands who don't have the same resources that we do, but have the same, if not better, products, services, um, founders, teams, audiences. Like we want to bring people along with us. So I can't say too much, but just know it's been something like top of mind for both Sochi and myself for two years. And our team has also done a phenomenal job of executing that at the influencer level, the gifting level, press. Like, and this is not the first time we've done this. We did, um, it was Black History Month last year. 
we did a giveaway with Black-owned brands and we shared our email list with them. And we have one of the largest email lists of, I would say, a Black-owned beauty brand of our size. And we made sure that that email list was shared with all of the giveaway attendees. So again, what, how, is, how do we get people who are excited about topicals, excited about other Black-owned brands? And not necessarily because they're Black-owned, because those brands are phenomenal. But how do we use what we've already accumulated and share that with others? How do you feel about the idea of being known as a Black-owned brand? Because at the same time, that's nice, but I would think that you're here to sell Topicals, the brand, because the product's really good. People aren't buying because it's just a Black-owned brand. I always say that we know that Black culture leads popular culture um, in the United States. And so I'm really excited to be a Black woman, to be an African woman, to be a woman who um, is representative of like my community. But I also think, A, we have to be careful with that because I'm not a monolith. And like every decision I make is not going to be a decision that reflects the whole community's ideas and values. And then two, I think it's really important for people who are not Black to understand that when you make a product that works for people on the fringes, you actually make a product that works better for everyone. And so Black-owned brands arguably have products that work really, really well for all communities because they've had to understand the nuances of communities that have been left out. And so I'm really excited that Topicals actually, we our customer base is extremely diverse um, across pretty much every spectrum that you can imagine. And I'm really proud of that because again, as a, as a Black woman, I'm usually relegated to only serving Black customers. Um, and I, again, I think it's, it's kudos to the team and how we've gifted to influencers, the types of stories that we tell, how we showcase, um, you know, whether it's talent or, you know, our ambassadors, we've made sure that anyone can see themselves represented in topicals versus it just feeling like you can only see yourself represented here if you're Black. Topicals has had this phenomenal growth, even though it's still a very small brand internally and externally, it's gotten so much praise and and has seen um, a lot of love. What's next? What are you focused on? You already gave us, you know, some ideas, but I want to know what else there is on the horizon. One thing my team knows about me is that while I'm excited about um, mental health and about inclusivity and diversity, I'm also really, really excited about delivering returns. I think it's really important for us as a brand to be successful financially, not only for the sake of our team, because you know our team enjoys um, the successes of, or they enjoy our success, right? Like we get to... Um, you know, provide more resources, more support um, to our internal team. Um, so I think it's really important that we do well by that standard. And then I also think it's really important that we show that a Black-owned brand can be successful, not just in the fluffy things, not just in the social things, but also, again, in the finance and economic side of the business. Um, we want to continue serving our customer in the way that they want to be served and spoken to. We try our best to always be the brand that people feel like topicals just gets it. You know, like I love when that's like the praise that we get is that we just get it because we want to feel that familiarity with our, our customer. And then we want to continue to create products um, and funds like the mental health fund that really help our community holistically, right? Not just externally with helping them with their skin condition, um, but also external, um, internally with helping them think about their mental health and just like re- imagining their relationship to beauty and their own mental health. Wonderful. 
Olamide, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been such an absolute pleasure chatting with you, getting to know you and topicals better. I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Tune in next week for another episode. And of course, if you haven't already subscribed, please hit that button.